I hope you're ready for today because I got all the energy. So church, are you guys ready to dig in today? We're gonna go after it. I'm gonna read our passage for today. Hosea 10 verse 12 says this, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord. It's gonna be a good sermon today, everybody. You already, can you handle a good sermon today? This is gonna be good. Let's finish it out. That he may rain his righteousness on you. God wants to rain something out very special on your life, on this church, on his people. Let's go to him right now. Lord, we come to you. We acknowledge your presence in this place. Lord, we worship the name of Jesus. And I pray with whatever anybody is coming in with today, that you would just open all of our hearts and minds to hear from your word, that you would speak to us, that you would build into us, that you would even start breaking us up so we can experience everything you have for us in our lives, in this community, and in the world. And so we invite you in right now. And everybody pray this in Jesus' name. Let me hear it, Northern Hills. Amen. You may take your seats, get comfortable. Well, I do want to welcome everybody in the room. I want to say hey to everybody online joining us. I know all you guys are out there hanging out on the couches, on the trips with the family. So it's good to have you guys too. Now, for some of you natives, you wouldn't be able to appreciate this as much. But for us transplants, you notice something very quickly upon moving to Colorado. And it is that green things don't like to live here. <laughs> green stuff is not meant to exist in Colorado. I have never lived in a place that required so much effort to keep grass alive. It's frustrating. And I'm wondering, do I got any green thumbs in here? Any gardener types? You get into all that kind of stuff? Well, in just the last year or two, my wife gets into gardening, all right? This is her new passion and her hobby. So we've got all these box gardens, we've got tiered gardens, all of the things. Now, here's the thing, everybody. I am a supportive husband. I am. But I don't want to participate. I don't want to be a part of this green project we have going on at our house because here's what happens. Nicole goes on a trip and she's all like, you need to keep the plants alive. And I'm stuck here caring for her rainforest for a week while she's out of town, freaking out about keeping this stuff alive because I can't. She's asked me to send her pictures and everything. It's a very stressful experience. And I promise I have a point with this because our passage, Hosea 10, 12, today says, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Now, some of the gardeners in the room, you know exactly what fallow ground is. You already know that term. But for the rest of us newbies here, fallow ground is simply soil that has been left idle. It's dirt that hasn't been worked. So it can't grow anything. It's hard. It's weedy. And I am always amazed by how much work it takes to prepare soil just for seeds and vegetation. I mean, it, it shocks me. And what also shocks me though is how little effort it takes for ground to go fallow. All you have to do is nothing. That's all it requires. And this picture that's gonna be on the screens here, this is a picture of the Atacama Desert. This is in Chile. This desert is considered the driest and most fallow place on planet Earth. 
This desert might get a couple millimeters of rain in a year. There are parts of this desert, get this, that hasn't seen rain in over 500 years. No rain. Now, last week, we started this series called There Is More. And the whole premise of this series is that there is so much more to the power and presence of God than we often recognize or even desire for ourselves. And I don't say this often, but if you missed last week, your homework is to go back and listen in the first message, right? I don't do that often, but these build on each other, everybody. So if you miss out, you're not going to appreciate the full, just the whole thing. And I'll catch you up, though, if you did miss it. Last week, we said every Christian has the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's something that happens when you put your faith in Jesus. But not every Christian has the power and presence of God working in their life in dramatic ways. That is something many of us lack. And I'm hoping, you know what I'm really hoping for this series? I'm trying to stir the pot a little bit in your life. I'm trying to stir it up because I want some of you to have some holy frustration about your life. I want some of you to be like, there is more and I don't have it, but I want it. I really, really want it. God, I'm a little frustrated right now. I know what you say in your word. I know the promises you make and I want more. So I'm just hoping that that becomes a holy, desperate frustration in your life that God, would you please give me everything that you say you want to give? And so that's the deal. There is more, everybody. But the question today, how do you get it? How do you tap into the fullness of the presence and power of God in your life? Last week we said, God is the only one that can produce this. You cannot manufacture the power and presence of God in your life, but there are certain things you can do to open yourself up to this rain that we are going to talk about. Arthur Wallace, he says this, although God is the source, there are conditions that he expects his people to fulfill before they are ready to receive. And so that is exactly what we're talking about today, everybody. This passage, Hosea 10, this happened 3,000 years ago in the nation of Israel. Hosea was a prophet, so he's speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. And at this particular moment, the nation was at a point of decision that would determine their destiny forever. They had been drifting for generations spiritually, and the cracks in the entire nation are starting to show. And so God confronts them. He says, I want to rain down on you with all of my blessing, with all of my power and my presence. I want to rain my righteousness down on you. That is my heart. But he says, there are certain things you need to do for that to happen in your life. Because right now, it's not working. God says, your fallow ground. Now at this point in time, God ain't talking about your box garden or your tomatoes, or the state of your lawn right now. He is using an image to talk about the condition of our hearts, the spiritual dynamics of our lives. And he's saying, I have this rain I want to send. I want to fill your life up on levels you never even imagined, but you are not in a position to receive it. Your soil ain't ready. 
Arthur Wallace, again, the guy I just quoted, he said this too. Vast tracts of fallow ground in the hearts of professing Christians surely constitute the greatest barrier to the reign of revival. And when we talk about revival, this is exactly what we're talking about. More. That there is more God wants to send on our lives. The fullness of his presence and power. And do you see this argument this guy's making? The biggest reason we don't see God raining down everything he wants to send is because we are not in a position to receive it. God is not going to waste rain on fallow ground. Now you think about today, most of us in this room, online, we worry about all kinds of stuff, right? We worry about numbers on a scale. We worry about numbers of gray hairs on the head or lack of numbers of hairs on the head. It's a little too close to home. We worry about numbers in the bank account. We worry about so many different things. We are concerned about the condition of so many areas of our lives because they matter to us. Here's my question today. What is the condition of your heart? How is the soil of your soul? We talk about getting physical assessments. Have you taken a real assessment of the spiritual condition of your life? So many people care about so many different things in their lives, and yet many times we ignore the very thing that God is most concerned about, the very condition of our hearts how do you think God feels about the condition of your heart right now? Does he have any opinions on the soil of your soul? Is it possible you have some fallow ground in your life? How does the ground of our hearts even start to become hard? What even causes the fallow soil in the first place? Paul was a writer in the New Testament he says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not quench the spirit. Now you think of this idea of quench. This is used when relating to fire. We talk about quenching a flame. It's suppressing, dampening, watering it down. And fire is an image used throughout the Bible for the work of the Holy Spirit. So you think of like putting gold in a furnace. The heat actually purifies and takes out all the impurities. And on some level, that is the Holy Spirit's work in us. The presence and fire of the Holy Spirit helps burns out the impurities of our lives. And Paul is saying, you can quench this process. You can actually throw a wet rag on the voice of God in your life. You can actually snuff out a prompting from the Holy Spirit. You can turn down the heat of his presence in your life. You can pour so much water on God's work in your life that you are just left with a soggy pile of ashes. Now, Paul says something else in a different place. Very similar idea in Ephesians 4. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, just a couple weeks ago, Nicole and I ran into this new family at the church. And one thing Nicole and I love to do, we love hanging out with people outside of church because you just get to know them better and it's just fun dynamics. So it's just something we like to do. So this new family to the church, they invite us over to their house for a meal. And I am never going to say no to free food, everybody. All right? So I'm all about that. So Nicole and I are all excited to hang out with this family. And here's the thing. 
This was no Sunday dinner, everybody. This was the Last Supper, all right? They went to the nines for this meal. I had never seen such a spread. I am not exaggerating. This was one of the best meals I've ever had in my entire life. These guys went all out on every single level. And during this two-hour window, while we're at these people's house, the worst nightmare of any parent happened to Nicole and I. The very spirit of Satan came upon our children and rained down on that house for two straight hours. I'm telling you, everything you could imagine a three or four year old doing, kicking, screaming, yelling, hitting each other. They have a gourmet meal in front of them. They're like, no, I want Cheerios. I'm like, my dear Lord, save me from these kids. And here's the thing, my children, they know. This is not how we show respect in somebody else's house. This is not how we appreciate all of this hard work that these people went into to make this meal. My children grieved me. I'm wondering though, how often do we do that to God? You can grieve God. You can break the heart of the Holy Spirit through the life you live, the choices you make, you can inflict emotional pain on the living God. You need to hear me today. God is not indifferent to you. He is not just sitting from a distance watching your life aloof as you flail around and try to figure things out with your life. He is so invested in your life that you actually have a strong emotional impact on him. Is there anything in your life today that may be grieving God? Is there anything in your life that may be breaking his heart You know, it's one thing to inflict emotional pain on God, but there's another layer to this too. Because through our own selfish choices, our willful disobedience, we can actually be left with what the Bible calls a hard heart. Now, if this is new terminology to you, this is a primary descriptor for somebody who, through an ongoing process of unrepentant sin, pride, ignoring God's voice, resisting his work in his life, you can actually get to a point where you are not only unwilling, but you are unable to receive all that God wants to bring into your life. And you see this pattern all throughout the Bible. One of the most famous examples is actually with Moses and Pharaoh. And when God's trying to free his people from Egypt, in Exodus 7, it says this, Pharaoh's heart became, what is it? Hard. And he would not listen to them. If you know how this story plays out, multitudes of people died because of this Pharaoh's hard heart. Talking about the nation of Israel, Zechariah 7.12, it says, they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen. This hardness led to the entire nation being sacked and taken into exile. 
Jesus, interestingly, uses this very language when he's talking to some religious leaders. He says this, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Think about this. Jesus is saying there are aspects to the Old Testament law that God didn't even want to institute himself, but he had to, to minimize the damage that we caused because of our own hard hearts. Proverbs 28, whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. This is emphasizing our personal responsibility. We are the ones who cause this. And I think Paul summarizes it best when he's talking about ultimately people who reject and dismiss God. This is how Paul describes the dynamic in Ephesians 4.18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying the ignorance and darkness you see in people's lives is ultimately not a result of some lack of information or opportunity. It is the result of a hard heart that is resisting God himself. Even to the point of rejecting Jesus. Paul says this comes from a hard heart. This is a very serious matter. The condition of your heart has eternal consequences for your life. This is why the writer of Proverbs says, above all else, this is the most important thing. This is the big E on the I chart. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. At the end of the day, you are ultimately responsible for the condition of your heart. This is on you. So what are some of the warning signs then? How do you know if your heart is starting to dry up? How do you know if some fallow ground is starting to form in your life? This is by no means a comprehensive list, but I'm just hoping to start to get our imaginations going and you can maybe apply this in your own life. Are you somebody who's easily offended? Just fly off the handle about little stuff, short temper, Are you somebody who struggles to forgive? I mean, truly, if you're really honest today, do you harbor bitterness towards some people in your life? Do you struggle to ask for forgiveness? Are you apathetic towards God? Truly, though, just the things of the spiritual nature do not motivate you much at all. Not much interest. The person of Jesus does not move you. There's just not an interest. Are you indifferent towards people? Now, you would never say it this way. You'd say you're busy or, or you're an introvert. I'm just an introvert. I just don't like people, okay, Brian? Are you indifferent, though, towards the people in your life? You are not moved towards them or for them. One more. Are you numb to your sin? Does your sin just bother you less and less? You feel like you have it to a manageable level, but it doesn't really move your conscience in any powerful way. There are many other things, but these are warning lights on the dashboard of your life that a hard heart is starting to form. And there's a writer in Hebrews, he gives us this plea. He is 
begging us, and I really believe this is the call of God to us today, Hebrews 4, 7, today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear me today, Northern Hills, God wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice. Are you listening though? Are you prepared to respond to what he says? Are you ready to obey what he asks of you? And the risk of this is if we ignore, reject, or dismiss the voice of God enough in our life, you will hear it less and less and less. And you'll become more hardened to the very voice of God in your life. Today, I am begging you, if there is anything God is trying to say to you, do not harden your heart towards him. Every single one of us here today has some fallow ground. We've all got some soil we need to break up. Look what Hosea says. Break up your fallow ground. Now here's the thing, this is good news, all right? God doesn't say, hey, you got fallow ground, you're screwed, all right? I'm just gonna destroy you. No, this, we got some hope here. He's like, hey, bring in the demo crew, get some jackhammers, we can do this, all right? Let's start breaking this thing up, all right? This is hopeful, all right? But this is on us. We gotta take personal responsibility for this. God is not going to do it for us. So how do you even break up fallow ground in your spiritual life? Interestingly, that story about Pharaoh and Moses, it gives us insight into the breaking up process too. In Exodus 10, this is what it says. This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says to Pharaoh. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Now, the reason I use that scripture is because if you actually pay attention throughout the Bible, you will see that a refusal to humble oneself and a hard heart are actually interchangeable concepts. The Bible uses them back and forth in the same exact way. So in a positive sense, there's another passage in 2 Kings 22. This is God speaking to a king. He says, because your heart was responsive and you, what is it? Humbled yourself before the Lord. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Interestingly, when he says your heart was responsive, He's literally saying there, because you softened your heart. That's the literal language right there. And so, just like hardening is a refusal to humble yourself, to soften your heart is to humble yourself towards God and break up the fallow ground. So how do you break up fallow ground? Humble yourself. Now, I was in college. I had this weird experience. I don't even know why I remember this. Maybe it was just for this sermon illustration. But I have this roommate, and nobody was around, and I noticed that my roommate had a fancy schmancy razor, right? He had one of the nice ones, all right? I had one of those cheap dollar store, like, Bic ones that you guys know about that, like, rip your neck open. So I had this moment where I'm like, you know what? I want to use my roommate's razor. I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to treat myself this morning and use the roommate's razor. And so I go ahead and use the razor, and it wasn't too long after that that you could call it the voice of God or whatever, but I felt like God was saying, uh, so when are you going to tell your roommate you used his razor? And I remember thinking, uh, never. 
that's my plan actually, because he'll never know and he probably doesn't care. So I'm gonna move on with my life. And I know this sounds ridiculous, but I had this internal battle with God about whether I'm gonna tell my roommate about using his razor or not. And finally, I could not handle the internal struggle anymore. I don't always listen to the voice, but I'm like, fine, I will tell him about the stupid razor. And so I go to my roommate and I'm all like, hey man, I'm sorry. Like, I know this is kind of stupid, but I just, all I gotta tell you, you know, I used your razor. And he kind of looked at me with this face like, yeah, if only you knew how much of your stuff I was using, Brian. I don't even know why you're telling me this right now. But you know what's funny about humbling yourself? You know when you're doing it. Because it is not pleasant. Humbling yourself has a sting to it. It makes you feel weak and vulnerable and exposed. This is not something that we get excited about doing, humbling ourselves. And James writes in a letter in the New Testament, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Now, you know what it actually means to humble yourself? It actually means to lower yourself. That's what it means. And James is saying, you need to lower yourself before God. It's one thing to humble yourself with a person, but our position before God is what ultimately matters the most. So I'm wondering today, what is your posture before God? Where do you stand before him? There's a lot of people who would have this attitude. They would say, well, you know, Brian, I don't feel a need to humble myself before God. You know, I'm not just going to go and grovel before some sky fairy to ease my conscience, right? I have no interest. I want to do a mental exercise with you. What if in this moment we were to do a little lottery system game? Everybody's handing out a number. If your number was selected, you would have to come right on this stage at this very moment, stand before everybody, and we would play on the screens all of your worst, most sinful, horrible moments of your life. Like that bad, like the stuff nobody knows about. Like the worst is on the screens and you just get to stand here while we all watch. Does anybody want to play that game? Anybody interested? Now, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see every single person in this room and online, there is going to be a day when you are going to stand before God himself in every single one of the deepest, darkest secrets of your heart and mind are going to be exposed and laid bare before him. And this is not just some nebulous, vague spiritual figure we're talking about. We are talking about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth itself. It is only by God's sheer mercy that you are even breathing right now in this room. If you are unmoved by the prospect of standing before God, hear me today. You do not know who you are dealing with. You have no idea who we are talking about. You know, the Bible says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of God. The Bible says he is a consuming fire. If you don't understand what it means to stand before God, you have no idea 
who we're talking about. It is a dreadful thing to have to stand before him. Now, thank goodness the story doesn't end there, right? Because Paul says in Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, our own sins. It is by grace you have been saved. Oh, you better hear me. He is a holy judge. He is a consuming fire. But you know what he also is? A merciful, gracious, loving Savior. Do you understand that God lowered himself for you? He left heaven itself, lived a humble life on this earth, died an excruciating, humiliating death on our behalf for our sins. His humility is your salvation. And when you start to understand the lengths God went to, how far he was willing to go, the price he paid for you, the only proper response is to lower yourself before him when you fully appreciate this love. I heard somebody once say, the channel that God uses in revival is the channel of a broken heart. Man, when you truly understand depravity of all of our souls, the fallowness of the ground in our life. And you see what God did for you. You just lower yourself in humility and awe of his love. And that is the posture that God starts to respond to. I read this passage to you guys, James 4, humble yourselves before the Lord. Does anybody know how that verse finishes? I held it off from you and he will lift you up. God does not want to beat you down. He wants to lift you up. That's a good spot for an amen, everybody right there. He wants to lift you. God wants to raise you to levels you could never even imagine or achieve yourself. Now, you can elevate yourself. He does a good job of lowering you. He knows how to do that. But if you will lower yourself before God, in humble repentance, he wants to lift you beyond anything you could imagine. That is God's heart for you today. He's saying, I want to lift you up. I want to take you places you never even imagined. I want to take you there. I have something for you. Let's go back to this soil concept. You know how you know soil has been properly prepared? For you gardeners, you know if you impress your hand on the soil, you can see exactly where the hand was. You can leave an impression on it. It's responsive. I'm wondering, what happens when God presses on you? Is he met by rock-hard concrete, an immovable object, or through a process of humility and lowering yourself is God able to leave an impression on your soul? 
Hosea says, for it is time to seek the Lord. Now hear me today, everybody. It is always a good time to seek the Lord. There ain't never a bad time. But when you think about harvest seasons and planting, there are definitely strategic times that will allow you to be even more fruitful than before. I believe, Northern Hills, that this is a historic opportunity we have right now in the people in God and the people of the church to see God do something incredible. We have never been more desperate for the true power and presence of God. We have relied on so many other things to try to move God's kingdom forward. This is a historic moment in the world and in the church. And God is just waiting for people to genuinely seek him. This is our opportunity, church, I really believe, to come together as a community in humble repentance before God. And just open up to him and say, God, we have been seeking so many other things. We've been seeking money and comfort and pleasure and politics and the things of this world, but we have not sought you in the way you deserve and your reigning of your righteousness demands. And so church, you need to break your heart over this. We need to come to God together in humility and just say, God, we are seeking you. We want more. We need more. We are desperate. There is nothing else in this life we want than all of the presence and power you have for us, for your glory and our good and the purposes in this world. It's time to seek him. Now, with fresh passion and a humble heart. Because when you see a community of people do this in unity and power, you know what happens? The rain clouds start forming. Look how Hosea finishes, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. You know what everybody says when it rains in Colorado? What does everybody say? Oh man, we needed that rain. We needed it. Oh, I'm so glad it's raining. Have you ever heard somebody in Colorado say, I hate all this rain. It's just raining all the time. I'm sick of it. No, we're always like, thank you, Jesus, for the rain. I love when it rains here because every time you get a fresh rain, there just everything becomes lush. There's a freshness in the air. There's a new vitality. It's like this awesome washing over experience. Hear me today. That is God's heart for you. He wants to rain down on you with all of his presence and power and favor. He wants to rain down blessing that you never could have even imagined for yourself. He wants to bring the rain. He wants so badly to bring this rain in your life. He wants to give you more. He has more for you. I showed you guys that picture of the desert at the beginning of the sermon driest, most fallow place on planet Earth. What most people don't know is this desert is actually filled with millions and millions of dormant perennial seeds. And in a rare historic moment, these only happen every so often. They're so rare. There will be just enough rain for this to happen in this desert. This is what is called a super bloom. 
where this wasteland of a desert is transformed into a lush garden. You see, when God sends his rain, he can turn the most fallow, dead, dry place into an oasis of beauty, life, freshness, and vitality. This is what he wants to do in your life. This is what he wants to do in this church. There are so many dormant seeds of spiritual power and potential in your life that God is just waiting to rain down on. We gotta work the soil though. We gotta break up the ground. And I'm telling you, God will bring a super bloom of his presence and power in your life and in this community. Northern Hills, break up your fallow ground. It's time. It's time. Today, do not harden yourself to him. It's time to repent. It's time to come before God. It's time to bring him your sin. It's time to turn to Jesus. It's time to work the soil of your heart so he can bring what he wants to bring. Because if we will just come to God in humility, humble repentance, I'm telling you, he will send the rain. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just humble ourselves before you right now. We're so sorry for just our complacency, our casualness, our indifference towards you, God. The fallow ground of our hearts, Lord, we are ashamed. But we are so grateful that you are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. You are a God of love, opening your arms to us right now. And we just come to you, Lord. We lower ourselves before you. And Jesus, we pray that you would help us break up this hard, fallow ground of our hearts that we would soften ourselves to you. And I'm begging you today, Lord, will you please send your rain? Will you please rain down your righteousness and your presence and your power on this community? Lord, we want more. We want more. So I'm praying, God, bring the rain. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.